Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It was such a pleasure to be in conversation with Scott Zamaru. Scott is a student practitioner and teacher of somatic and energetic healing arts with over 30 years in the field. Scott's broad training background includes massage therapy, polarity therapy, private mentoring and structural integration, group leadership and dynamics, and ontological coaching. All of these studies support his primary focus in biodynamic cranial sacral therapy and pre- and perinatal education and healing. As a student and teacher trainee in the first BCSD training with Franklin Sales in the U.S., Scott is among the longest-tenured biodynamics teacher in North America. He worked with Franklin and senior British teachers for 12 years during his time as a student and a teacher trainee. He was fortunate to work extensively in the pre- and perinatal field with Carlton Terry, who was mentored by and taught with William Emerson, Ph.D. These two streams of healing works are alive as the core focus of Scott's healing and teaching practice. Scott served as a founding board member of the Biodynamic Cranial Sacral Therapy Association of North America and as a past vice president of the American Polarity Therapy Association. He lives and teaches in Santa Fe, New Mexico. In today's conversation, we spoke about what exactly is pre- and perinatal work, going into history and philosophy of this exciting realm, and, and quite honestly, to try to describe what we talk about here just won't do it justice. This was a really important and educational conversation, uh, and yet still Scott finds ways to make it amusing and enjoyable. You're in for a great ride here learning all about pre- and perinatal work with Scott. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hey, Scott. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Scott. Hey, good to see you. Hi, Yeah. Yeah. All right, so here we are again. Uh, Yeah. I'm I'm excited. You know, actually, Scott, um, your talk was one of the most popular ones we've had. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so looking at statistics and, and numbers, it's been the highest in the first week and it's been, it's been pretty steady ever since. So mm. no pressure to live up to that again today. <laughs> okay, good. But clearly there's a, a want or a need. And, and I mentioned with you as well, I was just in a class last week, or maybe two weeks ago, time flies with yeah. uh, Ryan Halpert. And he also mentioned having had some talks with you recently. Mm-hmm. And, and they're always great, but those are also very popular. So right now, Scott C is the the man of the of the hour, or the person. <laughs> I got to be more gender gender neutral, right? The human being of the hour. <laughs> so we're honored to have that 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 human being with us today. Well, thank you, thank you. We had said about maybe going into like pre and perinatal and getting right. a little bit into that. Yeah. Well, we, no, we we can talk about pre and perinatal. There's it would be good to kind of frame that whole uh, arena of work for folks. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in how and maybe there isn't a strong differentiation, but how is the 
prenatal, perinatal education different than the, like the things that are already out there. Okay. But, sure. Um, birth trauma and things like that. Um, I'm very fascinated by this su- subject and mm-hmm. I think until meeting you, I didn't know that there was like a specific school just about that. So well, there, I've been, there really um, isn't. And so that's part of what I want to talk about is to kind of clarify confused, you know, what there like, is and what there isn't. And, Okay, good. Because yeah. I've been all over Google trying to <laughs> find something, a point of differentiation, and it just seems, which is all great stuff, so this isn't like not right. it, but I guess I was looking for something that I guess may not be there. Yeah. Well, birth trauma is certainly a big part of it, so that'll, that'll be part of our conversation. And then, you know, what I, what I can talk about is what I've specifically learned and what I specifically teach, which is a, a small piece of the picture. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add in here and I might add it in again later that and like many things that when we find them on the path later on, we're like, Oh, this makes so much sense. If I had known this earlier, like, and thinking, even thinking about from an SI standpoint, like forget other body work, forget thinking about SI, the, the really dropping into a lot of that prenatal and what's happening and forming in, in the embryo and, and how that patterning and the birth ignition and all that stuff, like learning about that has changed so much of just my SI work, of mm-hmm. just my rolfing. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll start, we'll start with a framework of, of sorts. So pre and perinatal covers a huge territory. You know, it goes from, you know, advocacy work about breastfeeding and and work with helping moms breastfeed their kids and, you know, latching on and all of this. There's advocacy around not circumcising little boys. You know, that's a, that's a, a direction that this work goes in. The whole territory of our human experience before we're born and during the process of being born, you know, it really started to emerge in the 20th century and went in a few different directions, one of which is strongly psychological. You know, how do some of these events, certainly during birth, which are very tangible, you know, how do these events affect us? psychologically how do they create the psychological framework we walk through life with and then of course you can't really separate the somatic part of birth from that because our our way of apprehending the world as a as a incarnating being is very different than you know a kid or a teenager or an adult it's sometimes hard to wrap our heads around what kind of consciousness we have at the time we're born. Yeah, you because know, we're we're often doing this as an adult, going, "Well, what what was I like when I was born? What was my frame of reference of consciousness and my experience of reality?" And I mean, I don't know that we can a hundred percent get there. So it's important to acknowledge we're we're dealing with a time of our 
own existence that's kind of mysterious in that way. Right? What was it like to be aware of ourselves and our life and our surroundings at that time? But is there really, I mean, is that possible? Because it, it, that early in our, our lives, that the, that the part of the brain hasn't fully developed yet. Well, yeah, I mean, on a, on a level of, of consciousness and thinking, right, the way we think, much of which, of course, is framed by what language we speak, because different languages carry different um, explanations of reality, right? So, you know, in different languages, the world is seen differently. So where we're born has something to do with how we think. And the language that we learn frames the way our mind works, you know, kind of everyday reality. But the fact of the matter is we were all born. This is something we can agree upon. You know, if we're an incarnate being, we went through a particular process to get here. So that's the perinatal part of things. And then we take a step back and go, well, yes, and then we had our whole process of embryological development. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of research around that now, and it's become very popular. You know, the study of embryology has become very popular in biodynamic cranial work, which is my main field of endeavor. And I think it's becoming popular in the bodywork world as a whole. You know, to understand, well, what are some of the things that happen that we then um, put our hands on with people. If I put my hands on someone, I'm putting my hand on their whole history, right? Going all the way back to when they were just a cell. So the, the realm of pre and perinatal work that I personally got plugged into is really looking at the intersection of soma and psyche in the process of birth, what is the physical process of being born? And then what are the somatic and psychological consequences of that? How does that play out in our life? And that work is always approached from a perspective of what is the experience of the person being born? So if you, for example, were to look at obstetrical textbooks and whatnot, you know, they're all looking at it from the point of view of the person delivering a baby. You know, and, and everything they talk about, you know, the stages of birth from an obstetrical point of view are all external. Pre and perinatal work, and, and again, in the in the realm that I'm talking about, is all about what was the experience of the person being born? So if it's, if it's my experience, it's what was my experience of being born? Or, or Andrew's or Nikki's. What was it like for you to come into this world? And how did that experience shape your physical structure, your soma, as well as your psychological construct, your view of the world, the conclusions you came to during that process that influence who you are today. So 
on a specific level, the the work I learned really comes in a kind of a straight line lineage from a gentleman named William Emerson. William Emerson is one of the kind of premier and main folks who have researched this whole field, particularly the experience of birth and then the prenatal world from a psychological perspective. And, you know, that comes from his own personal experiences studying psychology and then working for many, many, many years, both with, you know, people and children and in workshop contexts of discovering a whole world of meaning in birth and pre and perinatal experiences. And I was really fortunate to study with one of his direct colleagues, a gentleman named Carlton Terry. And Carlton had worked with William, taught with him, etc. Now, tying this back into our conversation about biodynamics, William Emerson worked with Franklin Sills. And Franklin did a lot of the work to understand the passage of a baby through a birth canal. And the interesting thing about that is when we're born, our cranium is really the predominantly large part of our body. So Franklin, as a craniosacral practitioner, you know, he was able to understand the process and work out the process by which, you know, a baby is born, by which we pass through the birth canal. And as he did that, he discovered there are very specific movement stages that we do in order to be able to be born. And he came up with four basic stages, which perfectly dovetailed with William's four psychological main stages. And it was like, oh, well, there's a somatic component and a psychological component to birth. And, you know, William incorporated a lot of that into his teaching. And Franklin also, you know, taught us in the cranial training, you know, some of the basics of the birth process, both Scott, somatically and psychologically. Briefly, um, mentioning those four phases. The oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Somatic. Right. Now you're putting me on the spot. I have to remember them. They're formal names. So, it just really, I'm, yeah. I'm curious. I, I'm not attached to the formal names. I'm more yeah. curious okay. of the... Um, so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first stage of birth, which is when contract, you know, a little bit before contractions begin, it's called stage one. And it's really when our cranium is up against mom's cervix. So that's a big part of it. And then the other part of our birth process is as, as the baby, we're lying with one side of our body or the other against mom's spine. So we're either what's called a right side or a left sided lie. So that's the somatic piece. So we're, we're lying against mom's spine. Our head is up against the cervix, which is closed. And the, the process of labor is initiated by the baby's body sending a hormone to mom saying, Hey mom, let's do this. So that then begins the process of contractions and, and all of this. So that's stage one. 
And stage one goes all the way through the process of the cervix opening and we as the baby going, heading down, pardon the pun, we head down into the pelvic bones. And stage one ends when our, when our cranium comes up, really comes up against mom's pelvic bones. That's the end of stage one. And there we are, we're up against bones, bone on bone. Stage two is our cranium has to rotate. We have to, we have to, as, as the person being born, volitionally turn our head to get from the pelvic inlet through the middle part of mom's pelvic girdle. So stage two is rotational cranium. That's the, the official term for it. So turning our head and finding our direction and taking volitional action, it's one of the first real volitional actions we take with our whole body as a human being. Like we have to find our way through. So you can maybe start to guess where some some of the psychological and worldview pieces come into play. So we turn our head, we move our head down through mom's pelvic girdle, through the bones, and into the pelvic outlet, at which point we enter stage three. And stage three basically is a, so we have flexion extension, right? So stage three is a giant extension because our face is passing along mom's sacrum. And at the end of stage three, we start to crown. People have heard of that. You know, that's when the baby's head becomes visible to the outside world. And the fourth stage is after our head is delivered. So our head is out. And stage four is everything that happens after that until we get home. If we're not born at home or if we're fortunate enough to have been born at home, a home birth, stage four tends to be pretty short. But stage four can include all of any necessary medical interventions and so forth that often happen to most of us who are born in a hospital. So we have the initiation phase is stage one. Turning our head is stage two. The final push, the final big extension is stage three, and then stage four is after our head's born. So those are the four basic stages of birth. Now with that, there are oodles and oodles of psychological pieces that come along, depending upon the particular uh, experience we have. So I'll give you an example. Before that, is, Nikki, was that clear, that explanation of stages? Did Absolutely. That... Okay, and um, at some point where uh, we go with this, I'm curious of how is this languaged in a mm -hmm. way that doesn't place unnecessary, unfair judgment on mom or baby mm -hmm. on how they came into the world? Mm hmm. That's a great question. Because maybe I'm a mom who had two very medical deliveries and sure. I feel very fortunate of that. So I, I, I honor or acknowledge I, I might be coming from a slightly 
biased place, but also I just know in the, in the mom, being a mom, there's so much guilt that we get for how birth happened or how Mm -hmm. breastfeeding or not breastfeeding and all this stuff. And yeah, when I can, I want to advocate that we all enter in this world in all different ways. And it doesn't necessarily mean we are came broken. That's right. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Thank you for letting me. Yeah. And you know, the, the first, the first thing I'll say, which is kind of an overview piece. It's always important to recognize that so often the things that happen during a birth save everyone's lives. You know, we can look at it and say, oh, you didn't have a home birth. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. It's like, no, this this happened so that everyone's still alive and everyone made it and everyone's healthy. That's really important to recognize because that that piece gets lost. Thank you for echoing that because that is yeah. that is the truth. Right. Yes. You know, if we look back in history, a lot fewer people survived at times because we didn't have the capacity to um, to take care of things in ways that are really helpful, ultimately. The, the corollary to that is that if there is a medical intervention that is helpful, but maybe also shocking at the same time, that can be healed. And that's, that's one of the big pieces of this work is that okay, this is what happened. And you're here and you're alive, and that alone is a lot for people sometimes to discover about themselves. And whatever happened can also be healed if there's there's a residual trauma from it. That's also really, really important for folks to understand. That we're not stuck in what happened to us and having to feel bad about it or judge it or what have you. So I I just want to say those things because that's part of what this healing work gets to is, Hey, the places where, you know, things happen and they can be healed. They can be uh, reconstituted is the word that comes to me. Because that's, that's all, at least the way I learned this work, that's what it's all about, is all of these pieces, all of these places, we can get unstuck from them. We don't have to, like, stay locked into, oh, my God, this happened, and it was, it was hard, it was terrible, it was this, that, or the other. We can come out of all of that. And I've seen amazing changes happen for people, including myself, of... Whatever, whatever the process was can be, can be shifted. So that's a huge emphasis in all of this. So. You're yeah. reminding me of um, a time in my life. I haven't had this memory in forever, but my mom went through a very new age uh, phase in her mm-hmm. life. And um, I was Probably I was in sixth grade and I was with a bunch of women going through a rebirthing workshop 
Yeah. And I, I ended up leaving because <laughs> my mom was like, I think this might be a little much. And I'm like, what's going on? Right. Well, <laughs> at age... Women, like, going back through, you know, either their own their own personal birthing experience or what their birthing their kid was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing is a lot of the, um, from what I've heard, because I wasn't around for that stuff, that some of the, some of those um, workshops or what have you got a little uncontained at times, and uh, I believe the, that. The, the understanding of shock and trauma that we have now was still in its infancy, and so it wasn't always helpful for people. You know, complete reenactment of of trauma doesn't necessarily resolve it. Things need to be a little more contained and slowed down and focused so that healing can really take place. Yeah, Franklin, when he worked out the stages of birth, he did it from the point of view of, you know, what happens to me going through the birth canal, which has to do with the twisting and turning and the position of the human cranium. And of course, a cranial teacher would see it that way. But it's also accurate because at that point, our head is kind of the key to the whole game, right? And it is different than obstetrics. And that's very, you know, that's very clear from the get-go in learning this perspective. Is we're not learning an obstetrical per- perspective. We're learning a perspective about what our own experience was. And how to meet it, how to understand it, and if there's trauma from it, how to heal that. So, yeah, I, I am kind of leaning and giving William and, and Franklin a lot of credit here, and certainly that's the, the lineage I was trained in, so that's what I'm most familiar with. And then within that, within the context of that, my teacher, Carlton Terry, placed a real big emphasis on how do we recognize and resolve the shock or trauma that comes out of our own experience. So I'll, I'll give an example here. One of my experiences was that mom and I were anesthetized when I was born. And this was really, really common. Back in the late 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, a lot of us who were born in hospitals, you know, drugs were used, painkillers and whatnot. The irony, of course, is that, you know, all of us kids were born with drugs and then we were told in high school not to use drugs. And it's like, well, wait a second. This is a, <laughs> this is a contradictory uh, message here. That's a discussion, sociological discussion for another day. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> thinking of any uh, young listeners possibly being like, but mom, this is how I was brought into the world. I'm just getting back to what I'm familiar with. Well, exactly. And part of, part of that is that we do like to recapitulate states of consciousness that are familiar to us. Right. So, you know, say people who maybe experiment with cannabis are going into a place that's familiar to them. 
because that mimics the experience of a lot of these anesthetics that were used during birth. So sure, people go back to those because they're familiar, one, but there's also a part of us. Let me, let me see if I can find the words. There's a part of us that is inherently healthy and that's always looking to heal our experiences that were overwhelming. Here's the thing about anesthetics at birth. The anesthesiologist, they're going to calculate the dosage of the anesthesia or whatever they're giving based on mom's body weight. So mom comes in, she's carrying a baby, she has extra water, etc. I don't know, she weighs 130, 140, 150 pounds, more or less, you know. We'll keep it there. But, you know, mom, moms get big. So the anesthesiologist says, well, you weigh 150 pounds, I need to give you this much. Here's the baby, the baby weighs 7 or 8 pounds. Our placenta doesn't filter anything out that gets into mom's bloodstream. So the anesthesiologist gives mom the proper dosage of painkillers and whatnot for a 150-pound woman. And then the seven-and-a-half-pound baby gets the exact same dosage. A little bit of a slower onset, but here's a seven-and-a-half-pound baby getting enough anesthesia for a 150-pound mother. That's an overdose. Okay? That's way too much. And again, I'm speaking from my own personal experience. Maybe no one else has had this experience. <laughs> but it's too much, and it leaves an imprint of you know, anesthetics are like forced dissociation. So maybe we have a lot of people walking around who have a form of parasympathetic shock from that experience at their birth. That can be healed. That can be worked with. But it also explains why people who may have had that birth experience had a fondness for certain, you know, chasing after certain states of consciousness. So that's a simple, you know, that's one actually very prevalent but very simple way of talking about, hey, here's a form of birth trauma. Here's how it gets enacted in life. And also it can be healed. That can be changed. And I've worked with a lot of folks, especially in the pre- and perinatal classes, who yeah, they have a lot of anesthetics to discharge from their body. And I've seen a lot of that. So that's one arena. Well, I just want to offer, um, I'm not discounting that the baby, you know, gets some of um, the anesthesia medicine and that that could have an effect on them. But for someone, I with my second kid, I had a C-section, and mm-hmm. um, I was very present, and I was also sure. very fascinated by the fact that I couldn't feel my body, yeah. but still felt embodied. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I've, I have worked with other women who had very similar experiences. Right. Which leads me to think like when, when, when women have these, you know, for me, it was planned. I've, mm-hmm. My kid has a, that was necessary. Yeah. Um, but wouldn't it be great? I mean, I feel like I was fortunate just because of the line of work I'm in and just that's an orientation that I like to show up for. But with women, maybe part of the, 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 the prenatal courses of when, in, if you were in an emergency state mm-hmm. and a C-section's plan, how to be present with your nervous system so you're not in, like, you're having to negotiate all sorts of things of what's safe, going into emergency surgery and what all that looks like. But how could we bring in more support for women for their nervous system and how that doesn't, so that it's good for them and also that's not that angst isn't getting transferred to the baby. Oh, absolutely. You know, and again, Nikki, that's a, that becomes a very specialized um, piece within, within the big picture of pre and perinatal work. You know, how, I mean, the whole question of how do we prepare mothers to give birth? You know, whether, whether it's natural birth or, or a planned C-section, how do you teach a mother to do exactly what you say? Regulate their nervous system, stay present. You know, all of those things that are certainly would be good for mom and certainly would be helpful for the baby coming into the world. Right? That's, that's education and advocacy. You know, that kind of preparation. That's not the part of the world that I'm in. And I'm sure there are people doing that in different places. How I'm hearing it, Scott, and correct me, is that there is different branches of the field. There is a a, a sense, as you're talking about, sort of the, the, for lack of a better word, the preparatory work for, mm-hmm. for that. And then there's also the... Um, Again, for lack of a better phrase, the after effects. Okay, well, this has happened regardless, and there's always sure. going to be something that's happened, and they're not good or bad. They're just happenings, occurrences. And now how do we work with them? And exactly. that latter part is where you are more or less coming in. Exactly. Thank you for, for stating it so clearly. Very rarely does anyone ever say that about me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a new skill you're finding, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, so so let me let me give you a a short outline of the kind of the tr- what the training looks like. So there's there's classes on these four stages of birth that that I enumerated. And that's that's birth process. And by breaking it down to each of the four stages, people are able to really research their own experience in great detail, which is part of self-learning, what we call research. And then it also points to places where there's an opportunity for both healing and what we call repatterning. So repatterning is a, a way of going through a process 
that allows someone to shift their their body experience or body memory of being born. So one of the things that can happen, here's a here's a, a simple example. Coming into stage two where a baby has to turn their head. Basically, you know, the, the standard thing most most babies will turn their face towards the anterior surface of mom's sacrum. And I'll say that in very anatomical terms for our audience. Some babies get lost. They're not sure which way to go. They turn one way, they turn the other way, they go back and forth. Some babies go in an uncommon direction, which is called a... a uh, posterior presentation because the the back of their head winds up in mom's sacrum. It's more commonly known as sunny side up because, you know, if mom's on their back, which is not ideal, of course, their baby is born facing up. In Europe, I'm told that's called a stargazer because they're facing the sky. I like that term. Yeah, it's a great one. So here's a situation, someone who maybe gets a little lost at stage two might be one of those people who gets lost while they're driving as an adult. Like I've, I've been in a car with someone and I say, yeah, okay, make a right turn at the next light and suddenly we're going left. Right? So there's, there's a piece there where, hmm. That person, that person, whatever was going on for them, you know, finding direction became an issue in their life. And there might be a little shock piece around that that can get resolved so that they can then find their direction. It might be as simple as, do I turn right or left at the next traffic light? It may be a little more meaningful, like, well, what am I supposed to do in my life? You know, what is my particular path in this world. So these these little pieces that we see in the birth process can wind up being having big ramification in someone's life. And when they get clear of sticky places, their life gets smoother. Right. So that's a kind of a simple example that opens up in a big way. Let me back up and say this. If, if we look at the whole pre and perinatal process, we're talking about the journey of our incarnation and the journey of our embodiment, which always has, begs the question, why did we come here and what are we here for? Right, it, get, it can get real big real quick. Right. Why did we take incarnation? I mean, it seems that it's not random. It seems that there's more meaning to it than just, you know, than just it, it was an accident. So as we unfold looking at, okay, what happens at birth? What happened prenatally? What happened in the journey of the gametes, the sperm and the egg, to get to conception, right? 
which is how far back this work goes. All along the way, we're discovering aspects of ourself, choices and decisions and um, influences that are part of our whole life. You know, it's not just about, okay, I got through the birth canal, yay. It's like, what is the meaning of this whole process for me as an incarnating being coming into this world? What am I here for? So that's the, that's kind of the big picture of it. And so in the training we look at, we start with birth, and then we go back to things that happen prenatally. We go back to, for example, the fact that after our conception, we have to implant into our mother's uterine wall. And so that's the first time in this new body we come into physical relationship to another human being. So there's a lot of work around attachment theory and how we make attachment and, and all of this. Our first attachment, or one of our first ones, comes at implantation. And how that process goes, in turn, will have a big influence on how our attachment plays out in life. And, you know, there's infinite books being written about how our attachment plays out in our relationships, in our work, our family, etc. But this can be traced all the way back to implantation. So if one does one's implantation work, you research it and discover what your particular experience was, that can have a profound effect on one's life. For example, a student in a class discovered that when she implanted and, and started getting fed by her mom as a you know little 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 tiny um, embryo that there was a tremendous inrush of vitality that she experienced from you know getting fed and she was then able to see how big vitality had played a huge role in her life up to the point where she had that discovery. So something came into, like a puzzle piece fell into place. And she understood herself in a new way by understanding her internalized relationship to vitality that happened at implantation. Another... Matt, can we take a... a oh, I, I'm yeah. curious about something. So... Yeah. With these discoveries, mm -hmm. how dependent is it to know the birth story from the parent? Like, let's think uh, of yeah, that's kids a great who question. were adopted or yeah, their that's, parents. That's a great question. Past or I mean, mm -hmm. there's all the, all the ways of not really right. knowing what right. your story. It's very simple. Our body knows how it was born. And our body has within it the memories of the process. One of the brilliant things that William Emerson did in his work is he developed somatic exercises to evoke the memories and experiences 
in the workshops that he did and working with individuals. So it's not just, well, flop on the floor and see what you can discover about yourself. If, for example, we're wanting to explore um, stage one of birth, there's a particular posture that we get in, and the people who are facilitating put their hands on in particular ways to evoke the memories that are available in the soma about that particular stage of the process. So it's very somatically oriented that way. There's very, very specific physical postures that we use all through the training process and through the, the working process that give uh, more direct access, if you will, to somatic memories. And of course, there, there's a way that the participants have to, you know, there, there's a certain willingness and curiosity that we bring to the table. And, and recognizing, yeah, it is possible to remember these things. Um, you know, a story that William shared with us at the very first biodynamic cranial conference, which was in the late 90s, was that when he was in his training as a psychotherapist, when he was in graduate school, he had spontaneous memories of his birth during a psychotherapy session. And he took notes about what he remembered and verified them with his mother. And they were accurate, and they were things that she had never told him about his birth, which got him very curious. It's like, how did I have these spontaneous memories that were accurate, and what's the meaning of it? So the, the memories are there for us, and there's very particular ways of, of researching them, of going into ourselves and finding them. So it's not very haphazard. It's actually very, very structured to support that process. So even when we start looking at things like implantation, when we look at discovery, when we even look at the prenatal experiences, there are very particular somatic exercises that we do that can evoke these memories. Yeah, I'll I'll share along that that I've um you know it gets hard when we're looking at somatics versus science, uh, mm -hmm. or experience versus science, uh, because science does inform a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. That being said, you know I've in some of these exercises that I've done, whether intentionally or not, I've had you know experiences like you mentioned or worked with people where where all of a sudden you have your hands on them and some resonance of a pattern of being in the womb has emerged mm -hmm. and it it may not necessarily make sense from a scientific way which i struggle with because i like that but it makes sense and when you have these experiences like there, there's no arguing there's just no mm -hmm. arguing this is right. what it is and it's the annoyance i guess is you know how do you how do you tell someone about, how do you explain an experience that you have to feel like it, it, it gets it gets lost in translation of course right well yeah i mean science is wonderful but it it only understands what it's researched 
right? If if research scientists have not put energy into understanding these processes the way we explore them, then, quote, it's not scientific. It's not that it's not scientific, it's just under-researched. Right? It's like, how does rolfing work? How does craniosacral therapy work? You know, most scientists don't even want to enter the room and research it, you know, and try to help understand these things. Partly because there's not a lot of money to be made in that game. Really? There's, there's no Here money in biodynamics and rolfing? I thought that's why we all got into it. Isn't that the, the main uh, catalyst? Yeah, well, they're, they're catalysts for healing. But, um, yeah, they haven't, they haven't been the subject of a lot of you know, thorough scientific research. And, yeah. you know, to, to be honest, I've, I've been in this game long enough that I'm just not interested in that anymore. You know, if, if you know, a, a van of scientists in white lab coats were to pull up in front of my house and say, yeah, let's research it, that's great. Yeah, come on in. But otherwise, I'm not, not going to run out and look for them. There, there's well, because many... in some ways, don't you think our, our, our offices are the labs? I mean, well, sure. We, we have, when you, when you are able to be in business, people are coming in and we're seeing, we see the change. We're, mm-hmm. we're been part of the process with the client right. of, you know, encouraging something and the client gets to take it on and walk out and feel, feel good. Yeah. So, I mean, I appreciate and, and that's what you and that's a form because... that's a form of science right there. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, the science is the the living body that adapted to the change. Yeah, and um, and I appreciate too because you know part of me wants to know the hard science to say yes, this works because X, Y, and Z. Okay. But the fascinating thing i think too you know i just my session i had before this conversation was just it was amazing how this particular person just changed under the pressure of my hand and got up and was like wow that was great it is amazing yeah. and i'm like i had a chuckle too because i was like it is amazing right. <laughs> She's like how did that happen i'm like i don't know but we did it together yeah uh, it it kind of brings to mind uh, Isaac Asimov's quote, which I can only paraphrase. That you know, any any sufficiently advanced technology appears as magic. So maybe you were just doing magic. Sometimes it does feel like that, and it's well, yeah, it's fun. It's it's. It's interesting. I just, I'm going, uh, I'm traveling next month and I have to do the little social media stuff beforehand. And I actually use the word magic in it, which I don't usually use, but it's just a common, the common, uh, phrase we hear back or feedback from clients is like, wow, that's magic. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, of course it's not. It's experience. <laughs> well, it's a mix of a few different strands, right? But there are elements of it that can't be measured. 
And so it's, you know, that's, that's the other piece of science is it's immeasurable. And so that's, that's where some folks get a little confounded because if it can't be measured, it's not real to them. So I have a, a question for you about yeah. pre and perinatal, which is, um, I think it's going to be an easy one. Is any is Jim Jealous's work at all in pre and perinatal, or is that really just biodynamics, or is there crossover? Yeah, I mean, I never studied with Jim, so I, I don't want to say a lot about that because I don't have that direct, you know, relationship as a student to teacher. You know, that work focuses a lot on embryology. And embryology is the, the study of formation of a human body. But there's a, there's a distinction that I would introduce here. There is the formation of the body in, in the embryological sense. Pre and perinatal work is interested a little bit more in the experience of the incarnating being going through the process of their body being formed. So, for example, if we were to look at some of the early, very, very early things that happen in embryological formation, you know, they're, they're presented in a very general sense. You know, embryos do this thing, they do that thing, they move in certain ways. In a pre and perinatal context, the question is, okay, this is, this is what we understand embryologically. What was your experience in your consciousness of this process, this movement, this pattern? So it, it takes it a step into what happened for you at this point in your life. And there's, you know, there are some really interesting things that can happen. So an example of if mom or dad are taking prescription medications, how might they influence the formation, the very, very early formation of the neural tube and nervous system? When there's an energetic imprint of medication, say of psych meds, because I've, I've seen some of this. You know, dad's on psych meds because of, you know, his personal experience and state of, state of mind. And those psych meds have a certain kind of energetic quality or signature. And they're carried by dad's sperm. And really his, you know, kind of energetic field into conception. And here's this new being starting to grow their nervous system. But there's this energetic frequency, if you will, of particular medications in their field. So that their nervous system starts to form and embody that particular energetic signature. So this person's been walking around in their life 
with an energetic signature from dad's psych meds built into their nervous system. Now, this is, this is a pretty subtle level of this work. But it's something that, again, it's, it's very real. Because for the person who is on the table working this out, that changes their experience of life going forward. It changes the set point, if you will, of their nervous system, their autonomic nervous system. Because that frequency of energy that was there at their embryological formation gets erased from their system. In this case, it was a biodynamic session, so the breath of life is what's clearing it. So now they're going through life without the overlay of their father's medical um, history, if you will, in their body. That's a that's a very subtle example. That, that makes I mean that makes a lot of sense. The mm-hmm. there's a few ways I'd want to go with that, but one thing is I'm going to offer a, a clarifier of energetic for maybe right. some people who are less into that and say a non visible phenomenon, a, a non visible phenomenon essentially, non material phenomenon. No, yeah, and and I can you know and again for those people who may be listening or don't like the word energetic and what it implies needs more physical you know i really i can think of i've had friends who are bipolar and when they would take their medicine they would feel like a different person right and just thinking of that as a that energetic or that non-visible shift a non-visible non-material shift and then and then as far as bringing that into the nervous system whether yourself or your child like that makes drastic sense and then to bring it back into the repatterning you're talking about a bit of before of changing the pattern mm-hmm. yeah coming coming back to the natural pattern of health i'll and give you more tan- i'll give a more tangible example too suppose during the process of birth and we'll come to birth because it's a, it's more graspable Baby's shoulder gets hung up on mom's pelvic bones, right? And, you know, the doctor has to do a little pulling and maneuvering to get someone through the birth canal. And so this person's going around where they they had, you know, a very, um, you know, kinetic force that organized the shape of their shoulder. And say they're 32 years old and they get on your rolfing table and you put your hands on them and you go, yeah, your shoulder girdle is not balanced. And you might not know their birth history. You might not have any information about that. But you get your hands on them, you feel their shoulder and you go, yeah, there's something here in this left shoulder. And you do the magic that you do. Right? You, you work on fascia, you notice fascial layers are adhered and all of these things, and their shoulder opens up and their shoulder girdle becomes more balanced. Right? So there's a real tangible example of how something from birth you know, is sitting there waiting for someone with skills who can sense, well, something's not right here. You know, there, there's a leftover imprint of some experience in this person's body. And okay, great, I cleared it out. 
Now, I went through a lot of my training with two people who were trained in SI work, one from the Institute and one from the Guild. And they told me, you know, as we went through the training together for years, how as they began to understand these processes of birth and prenatal, that completely influenced what they understood when they put their hands on people. It gave them a totally different picture. So when someone would stand up, you know, you do that thing as a rolfer, you know, okay, stand up and show me your line. And they would look at him and they would see, okay, you are a right side birth lie. Your right side was against mom's spine. And here's all the somatic patterning that results in that or a left side lie. And so as a SI practitioner, that'd be the first thing they would see in someone. And they would understand, okay, why is this rotated this way? Well, because if you're a left side lie, you're going to rotate that way to get through the birth canal. And suddenly all this, you know, you know, all the training in SI work took on a whole different level of understanding because they're now seeing the somatic pattern of birth in their clients. So that's a, you know, that's a real tangible way this all shows up for someone with, with that kind of background. They just go, oh, here's your soma. Here's this patterning. Oh, it's consistent. You know, there are consistent patterns that we would see for a left side lie or a right side lie. They're just mirror image of each other. You know, there's consistent patterns that you would see in someone born from a C-section. And again, there's no judgment. It's just this is how it somatizes in someone's body. So from an SI perspective, you'd see it one way. From a cranial perspective, we see it in a different way. And now we, you know, studying this work, studying pre and perinatal, oh, here's the origin of the pattern. And there's something about holding, you know, what we're seeing with, with that understanding that can create more empathy, which is always important for healing. Right? One of the phrases we have in the class Carlton used to use was accurate empathy. If I see a pattern in someone, and I understand its origin, you know, rather than just having generalized empathy for them, my empathy can be very specific to the experience that they had in a way that supports the healing process. So having, having this understanding then creates a uh, facility in the, in the work for helping people resolve places where they're they're limited yeah it makes me think a lot of a, an old-fashioned television right and so you got the uh you got the video coming through and then you you you, you move the antenna a little bit to to see what are you seeing do you need a little more of greens or, or reds and it's that sense of you know we sometimes talk about a toolbox of, of mm -hmm. which tool are you going to use and you, you, if you can learn how to sense into the the pre and perinatal stuff it gives you another story that's helpful right. for yeah. for times and other times you you need to move the antenna dial and 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 see it slightly different mm -hmm. but it's all the same it's all the same just layers of of, of uh, yeah different views in, in a way yeah 
have lost that articulation you talked about earlier. Oh, no, I think I think you did it well. It's, it's just when you said an old TV, I thought you were going to go back to black and white <laughs> as opposed to color. But I, I think I'm a little older. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's just about bringing more understanding to what we're touching. And and maybe having a, a bigger scope of history. Well, I like um, it was something that we were touching on earlier when you mentioned a client who um, was taking on his parents' uh, prescription drugs. And I think yeah. with all these different types of uh, holistic healings, whether it's structural integration, biodynamic, somatic, all of it. I think it's a, I think a big part of the healing process is going through different healing journeys to learn what is yours and what isn't and giving, having this safe space and permission to take away what doesn't belong to you. So you can live your own authentic life that you were meant to have without the buzz of others around. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way of saying it because we do take on, you know, in our, in our journeys, we take on a lot of things that aren't ours. We haven't even mentioned, you know, ancestral things. And, and that starts to come into play, obviously, in pre- and perinatal work, because now we're talking about parents and well, grandparents and genetics and all of that, you know, and, and those influences start to be seen. And, and yeah, it's all about, well, who am I, who am I without all these overlays? Right? Who am I without all these layers of conditioning that come from experiences, you know, from other people's panic, what have you. You know, I've, I've seen people, you know, part of their healing process is to recognize, oh, all this anxiety I'm feeling during my birth were the people in the room, in the hospital room, who are going to deliver, you know, the doctor's over here and he's anxious one way and this nurse is anxious that way and this nurse is anxious this way. And, you know, some really sensitive people tune into all of that. And when they're able to go, okay, I'm going to differentiate from the anxiety of all the people who are in the room, turns out I wasn't so bad off after all. I was feeling good about, I'm excited to be here. And all these people are nervous and freaking out and whatnot. And and you get back to your own excitement. Like, wow, I'm getting born. I'm coming into the world. I've been, I've been building a whole body for the last nine months just to do this. So, yeah. How do, how do we separate from what isn't ours? That alone is huge. And it's energetic. Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to use that word. It's uh, non-material. No, you can use energetic. I don't mind it. I'm just okay. trying to I'm yeah. just trying to, to, to help other people out. Right. It's non-material. 
It's somatic. It's emotional. Right? We can, we can let go of these ways that we got shaped by, by outside forces that are not part of our natural destiny. I like that phrase, natural destiny. I'll have to use that in the class. Well, I really liked a lot of phrases you said today, especially at the end. The who am I without all the overlays. Right. And also, where I was confused before that you really helped uh, and hopefully helps others is the difference between embryology and the the, the experience of the you know incarnate being. And, and, and that separation there is really, that's the, that's the takeaway for, for me and hopefully for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is our embodiment journey. What, what was my journey about? And what was my experience? Studying embryology is very helpful. Right? It gives us a, a biological basis of understanding. But it's still not my experience. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, I know we are uh, shorter on time in general. Yeah, and and I actually feel like we have covered a ton as we usually do. We have great speakers like you. Is there is there anything either that you still feel you need to share, want to share, and or Nikki? Is there, is there things that you are still want to get in, or does it feel like a, a good? No, I think this was lovely. I think um, I think this is just really important and fascinating conversation. And I think I have a better understanding of of why I couldn't find a specific right. outlet for this. Um, and I just, I think you're fun to really talk to, Scott. I, I oh, know thanks. I've been messaging you being like, come to Boulder. <laughs> Who cares? There's other people here. Well. But... I- I think they care. There's other people there. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's part of the conversation. Well, I yeah. would love to study with you one day well, when you. we're not in a pandemic. Yeah, I think I think uh, our current situation is also very. It's another overlay, right? It's a great example of how how external conditions limit us mm-hmm. and what we want to do and how we want to express our lives, right? For, for, for people wanting to study with you, and we talked about them the last time, we'll, we'll put a link up there. Yeah. What do you have going on these days? Um, right now, what, I, what I'm working on is starting a cranial training here in Santa Fe. The, the, I don't have a pre- and perinatal training planned yet, but... That is certainly... But maybe one could be created for Zoom? Uh, it's not a Zoom. It's not a Zoom thing. <laughs> so, because of the deeply somatic nature of it. Well, I was, I was kind of hinting at that. I was going to back channel you on this because I did find an intro pre-postnatal um, or perinatal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People are, people are doing Zoom things. Uh, it for me, it just doesn't resonate as something I would want to do that way. Yeah. Because um, people could people could message you and sure. bring you to their town. 
Yeah, or they could come here. You know, we'd have, yeah. I'd have to collect everyone in one spot. Yeah. And, you know, holy faith, it's a great place. It is. It is. So for the time being, when people want to find you, they go to scottzammerich.com and yes. all the info's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super. Yeah. Well, it's been another great, great conversation. Well, thank you. It's I, wonderful to converse with you guys. Even if on Zoom. Well, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in very different places, so it, it's a, a useful tool for this for this meeting. For this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we'll sign off for now. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, Nikki. It's Hi. wonderful to chat with you, and I, I appreciate all your questions and what you, thank you. What you draw I, out. What's that? What you draw out in your question? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. tell me and about also, this. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. Take good care. Good. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. You can find out more about Scott at scottsamaroot.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.